To James Madison, Paris, December 20th, 1787. Dear Sir, My last to you was of October 8th by the Comte de Moustier. Yours of July 18th, September 6th, and October 24th have been successfully received, yesterday, the day before, and three or four days before that. I have only had time to read the letters. The printed papers communicated with them, however interesting, being obliged to lie all over till I finish my dispatches for the packet, which dispatches must go from hence the day after tomorrow. I have much to thank you for, first and foremost for the ciphered paragraph respecting myself. These little informations are very material towards forming my own decisions. I would be glad even to know when any individual member thinks I have gone wrong in any instance. If I know myself it would not excite ill blood in me, while it would assist to guide my conduct, perhaps to justify it, and to keep me to my duty alert. I must thank you, too, for the information in Thomas Burke's case, though you will have found by a subsequent letter that I have asked of you a further investigation of that matter. It is to gratify the lady who is at the head of the convent wherein my daughters are, and who, by her attachment and attention to them, lays me under great obligation. I shall hope, therefore, still to receive from you the result of the further inquiries my second letter had asked. The parcel of rice which you informed me had miscarried accompanied my letter to the delegates of South Carolina. Mr. Burgoyne was to be the bearer of both, and both were delivered together into the hands of his relation here, who introduced him to me, and who, at a subsequent moment, undertook to convey them to Mr. Burgoyne. This person was an engraver particularly recommended to Dr. Franklin and Mr. Hopkinson. Perhaps he may have mislaid the little parcel of rice among his baggage. I am much pleased that the sale of Western lands is so successful. I hope they will absorb all the certificates of our domestic debt speedily, in the first place, and that then offered for cash they will do the same by our foreign one. The season, admitting only of operations in the cabinet, and these being in a great measure secret, I have little to fill a letter. I will therefore make up the deficiency by adding a few words on the Constitution proposed by our Convention. I like much the general idea of framing a government which should go on of itself peaceably, without needing continual recurrence to the state legislatures. I like the organization of the government into legislative, judiciary, and executive. I like the power given the legislature to levy taxes, and for that reason solely approve of the greater house being chosen by the people directly. For though I think a house chosen by them will be very illy qualified to legislate for the Union, for foreign nations, etc., yet this evil does not weigh against the good of preserving inviolate the fundamental principle that the people are not to be taxed but by representatives chosen immediately by themselves. I am captivated by the compromise of the opposite claims of the great and little states, of the latter to equal and the former to proportional influence. I am much pleased, too, with the substitution of the method of voting by persons instead of that of voting by states, and I like the negative given to the executive with a third of either house, though I should have liked it better had the judiciary been associated for that purpose or invested with a similar and separate power. There are other good things of less moment. I will now add what I do not like. First, the omission of a Bill of Rights, providing clearly, 
and without the aid of sophisms for the freedom of religion, freedom of the press, protection against standing armies, restriction against monopolies, the eternal and unremitting force of the habeas corpus laws, and trial by jury in all matters of fact, trialable by the laws of the land and not by the law of nations. To say, as Mr. Wilson does, that a Bill of Rights was not necessary, because all is reserved in the case of the general government, which is not given, while in the particular ones all is given, which is not reserved, might do for the audience to whom it was addressed, but is surely a gratis dictum, opposed by strong inferences from the body of the instrument, as well from the omission of the clause of our present confederation, which had declared that in express terms. It was a hard conclusion to say that because there has been no uniformity amongst the states as to the cases triable by jury, because some have been so incautious as to abandon this mode of trial, therefore the more prudent states shall be reduced to the same level of culminity. It would have been much more just and wise to have concluded the other way that as most of the states had judiciously preserved this palladium, those who had wandered should be brought back to it and to have established general right instead of general wrong. And let me add that a Bill of Rights is what the people are entitled to, against any government on earth, general or particular, and what no just government should refuse, or rest on inferences. The second feature I dislike, and greatly dislike, is the abandonment in every instance of the necessity of rotation in office, and most particularly in the case of the President. Experience concurs with reason in concluding that the first magistrate will always be re-elected if the Constitution permits it. He is then an officer for life. This once observed, it becomes of so much consequence to certain nations to have a friend or a foe at the head of our affairs that they will interfere with money and with arms. A gallowman or an angloman will be supported by the nation he befriends. If once elected and at a second or third election outvoted by one or two votes, he will pretend false votes, foul play, hold possession of the reins of government, be supported by the states voting for him, especially if they are the central ones lying in a compact body themselves and separating their opponents. And they will be aided by one nation of Europe while the majority are aided by another. The election of a president of America some years hence will be much more interesting to certain nations of Europe than ever the election of a king of Poland was. Reflect on all the instances in history, ancient and modern, of elective monarchies, and say if they do not give foundation for my fears. The Roman emperors, the popes, while they were of any importance, the German emperors till they became hereditary in practice, the kings of Poland the days of the Ottoman dependencies, it may be said that if elections are to be attended with these disorders, the seldomer they are renewed, the better. But experience shews that the only way to prevent disorder is to render them uninteresting by frequent changes. An incapacity to be elected a second time would have been the only effectual preventative. The power of removing him every fourth year by the vote of the people is a power which will not be exercised. The king of Poland is removable every day by the Diet. 
yet he is never removed. Smaller objects are the appeal, in fact, as well as law, and the binding all persons legislative, executive, and judiciary by oath to maintain that constitution. I do not pretend to decide what would be the best method of procuring the establishment of the manifold good things in this constitution, and of getting rid of the bad, whether by adopting it in hopes of future amendment, or, after it has been duly weighed and canvassed by the people, after seeing the parts they generally dislike and those they generally approve, to say to them, quote, We see now what you wish. Send together your deputies again. Let them frame a constitution for you, admitting what they have condemned and establishing the powers you approve. Even these will be a great addition to the energy of your government. End quote. At all events, I hope you will not be discouraged from other trials, if the present one should fail of its full effect. I have thus told you freely what I like and dislike, merely as a matter of curiosity, for I know your own judgment has been formed on all of these points, after having heard everything which could be urged on them. I own I am not a friend to a very energetic government. It is always oppressive. The late rebellion in Massachusetts has given more alarm than I think it should have done. Calculate that one rebellion in thirteen states in the course of eleven years is but one for each state in a century and a half. No country should be so long without one, nor will any degree of power in the hands of government prevent insurrections. France, with all its depotism and two or three hundred thousand men always in arms, has had three insurrections in the three years I have been here, in every one of which greater numbers were engaged than in Massachusetts, and a great deal more blood was spilt. In Turkey, which Montesquieu supposes more despotic, insurrections are the events of every day. In England, where the hand of power is lighter than here, but heavier than with us, they happen every half-dozen years. Compare again the ferocious depredations of their insurgents with the order, the moderation, and the almost self-extinguishment of ours. After all, it is my principle that the will of the majority should always prevail. If they approve the proposed convention in all its parts, I shall concur in it cheerfully, in hopes that they will amend it whenever they shall find it work wrong. I think our governments will remain virtuous for many centuries, as long as they are chiefly agricultural, and this will be as long as there shall be vacant lands in any part of America. When they get piled upon one another in large cities, as in Europe, they will become corrupt, as in Europe. Above all things, I hope the education of the common people will be attended to, convinced that on their good sense we may rely with the most security for the preservation of a due degree of liberty. I have tired you by this time with my disquisitions, and will therefore only add assurances of the sincerity of those sentiments of esteem and attachment with which I am, dear sir, your affectionate friend and servant, Thomas Jefferson.